HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. And this is our 359th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the president and COO of the James Beard Foundation, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. Of course, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later, we'll have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have good intentions. Aim to do the right thing and make a difference in the world with kindness and love. Let's allow our hearts to lead us with our actions and strive to do good. This notion aligns with the motto of the James Beard Foundation, which is, Good Food for Good, bringing its mission to life through its annual awards, industry and community-focused initiatives and programs, advocacy, and more. So let's all get on board, as doing good is simply good. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm super excited to have my guest joining me. It is Chris Moon. He is the President and Chief Operating Officer of the James Beard Foundation, in his role, Chris is responsible for all revenue at the foundation and helping the foundation grow its philanthropic support. During his 15-year tenure, Chris has been instrumental in leading the foundation's COVID-19 response, as well as launching the Chef's Boot Camp for Policy and Change Initiative and spearheading the strategic planning and launch of the foundation's JBF Impact programs. Without further ado, hi, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, I feel I feel like this is a long time coming. It's so, <laughs> so great having you on. <laughs> it has been a long time coming, but um, I'm, I'm excited to be here now. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so I always like to start out with my guests and, and find out a bit about their background and what led them into this amazing hospitality industry. So do you want to take us back a bit? Sure. I mean, I'll take you way back because I got my start in the hospitality industry a bit unexpectedly when I was 15 years old. Um, I grew up in Kansas City um, and got my first job uh, in high school because as lots of young kids, I wanted to buy myself a car to drive when I turned 16. And uh, my first job was as a waiter um, in the dining room at an assisted living facility uh, in Lenexa, Kansas, um, and this kind of broader community of folks, um, some as young as 60 years old that were living in independent houses around the kind of center complex um, and could sign up for a meal plan to come into the dining room. And so we served um, roughly 300 uh, 
residence every night for dinner in a couple of seatings. And it was mostly high school kids uh, that served as the waiters in that space. And so I started there when I was 15. Uh, I worked there actually all the way through high school. I worked there when I went back in the summers uh, during college. Um, actually uh, also served as a floor manager there. Um, and it was such a rewarding experience for me um, to really build relationships with the residents, but um, to really have my first um, experience kind of in front of house and in food service and to see, you know, the joy that you can bring to people um, when food is involved and creating experiences around a table. That's awesome. So similarly, I got my first job when I was 16 years old. I grew up in Miami, but it was as a hostess at a local Mexican restaurant because I just wanted to work. And still, my, my parents did not understand why I made that move. But <laughs> um, right. when you're telling your story, I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. Um, even though I've never been to Kansas City and it is on my list, of course, of places I'd like to visit one day. Yeah, I definitely have to go. It's a great town. It's a great food town. Um, it's actually a beautiful city right right in the center of the country. Yeah, yeah. One day I will get there. So then what, I don't know if I'm fast forwarding too much, but what brought you to New York? So I actually, I left Kansas City to um, go to Boston University where I got a degree in classical vocal performance. I was a singer oh. uh, and also studied classical piano while I was there. Um, really with the intent, though, of leaving college and moving to New York to pursue a Broadway music theater career. Um, and so that is what actually brought me to New York. And, and the first uh, about four years that I lived in New York City, I worked um, pretty much exclusively as a professional pianist. Um, I was playing the piano for off-Broadway auditions, vocal coachings, musicals, uh, pretty much anybody that would pay me to play the piano. Um, and did that when I first moved to New York and it, um, wasn't what I moved here to do. And after four years and realizing how much I was hustling to make a living playing the piano, um, but not really feeling the passion of wanting to be a professional pianist, um, I decided to give it all up, um, and refocus on my desire to be on stage, um, and needed to make ends meet and decided to go back into restaurants uh, and started looking for a job as a waiter uh, to pay the bills um, while I went back into auditioning. Um, so that's how I got back to restaurants and in New York. Um, and I was, you know, after quite a long search, I must say, I ended up uh, landing a job as a waiter at Jane Restaurant um, on Houston Street. Um, this was back in probably 2005, uh, 2006. Um, certainly in the heyday of Jane's brunches, which were iconic. Um, no, in that I, yes, I, I, I remember. <laughs> yeah. The vanilla bean French toast and that Bloody Mary, <laughs> you know, there was a swarm of people that came every weekend. So I worked there for a couple of years uh, as a waiter um, and then also started bartending there and then eventually became a manager. Um, and over the course of a couple of years realized that um, I had stopped auditioning and really kind of fallen into a new career um, more formally in the hospitality space. Wow, so cool. I was just, I was thinking, like, do you still, I don't know, I, I, do you play and perform at all? Because I would, I would buy a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I do still play and I do still sing, but these days, you know, it's mostly at home yeah. or perhaps in a karaoke bar, um, but certainly not professionally any longer. Got it. Okay. So I'll have to, I'll have to find you some, some time so we can carry it <laughs> together. Um, <laughs> cool. So then, okay. So then what led you to the James Beard Foundation? Because I know you've been with the organization for at least 15 years. Is that right? Yeah, I actually just had my 16 year anniversary um, this month. That's awesome. Yeah, so after Jane, I hopped around to a couple of different restaurants um, in New York um, over the course of a couple of years. And I ended up at a restaurant called Sapa um, that you may remember that was on 24th Street. Patricia Yeo was the chef. Oh, yeah, um, of course. Adam, yeah. yeah, Adam Burke uh, was the general manager there. And I, I went to work there. Um, I was there probably a year and a half, maybe two years um, as a waiter and then also um, as a manager and got to be um, quite friendly with Patricia during that time. 
And it was during that time that I I really had the realization that I thought this was going to be my career, Um, the hospitality industry. um, It was what I was exclusively doing. I was really interested in it. Um, And I actually had dinner with Patricia one night and said, you know, hey, can I pick your brain? I know I'm working here at Sapa for you right now, but um, I think this is my career, but I'm kind of curious about what other opportunities exist in this industry uh, that, you know, may not be in a restaurant per se, but are in the independent food and beverage industry. And so she and I started brainstorming a bunch of, you know, different avenues and things that she thought I could do with my skill set. Um, and one of the ideas that she threw out was the James Beard Foundation. And um, I'll never forget this dinner because this dinner changed my life. Um, she said to me, you know, the James Beard Foundation would be a really interesting place for you. Uh, you know, it's a small organization. There isn't a lot of turnover, but, you know, I know some people there. Maybe you could start um, as a waiter or a maitre d' at the James Beard House for their events and get your foot in the door and, you know, over time work your way up. Or, you know, if somebody leaves, you know, be in the right place at the right time. Um, and she agreed to send my resume um, to the James Beard Foundation um, the next day. Uh, to her contact there, which was Sal Rizzo, who I'm sure you know. Of course. Um, yes, so I was time, thinking it was it must have been Sal when you It were. was. So Sal was the director of operations at the time. And uh, she sent my resume to Sal uh, the next morning, which was a Monday morning, and said, you know, Chris has been working for me. He's starting to think about his next step. Uh, and Sal wrote back and said, wow, you know, I'm so glad that you wrote because I gave my two weeks on Friday because Sal was moving on to his next position. Um, And so that was Monday. I interviewed with our former president, Susan, on, I think, Wednesday. I interviewed with her again on Friday. uh, And I was offered the job as the new um, director of operations and events at the James Beard House. And I started um, to the date, two weeks after I had that dinner with Patricia Yo as um, a new member of the James Beard Foundation team uh, and it was all such a whirlwind. I was kind of like, what, what just happened? <laughs> How did I yeah, end up here? What that. is this place? Um, but I have, uh, I've been on quite the journey with the Beard Foundation since, and it has been, it's been pretty remarkable. Yeah, no, that, that's incredible. And you have been. So, so from, from the beginning days till now, um, I mean, there's been a lot of things happening with the organization itself and change, but how did your role change over, over the years? Sure. So I, um, I was started in an operations and events role at the Beard House. So running the facility, the front of house staff and working with all of the visiting chefs on their guest chef dinners. Um, and I did that for about four years. Um, and then I actually left the James Beard Foundation. Um, I went and I took a job uh, briefly at AMFAR, the Foundation for AIDS Research, uh, on their international events and fundraising team. Uh, and I was gone about a total of, I think, nine months, <laughs> um, because during that nine months, uh, I was invited to interview for a new position that was being created back at the James Beard Foundation, uh, which was a, a job that was really focused on kind of fundraising and um, broader strategy of kind of new program development. So I interviewed for that job, uh, got that job and came back to the James Beard Foundation all in a matter of nine or 10 months. Um and so then I moved into that role, which was more focused on starting to build build philanthropic support at the organization, um, starting to work with the board to determine um, what other kind of more traditional nonprofit programs should be added to um, the slate of activities of the James Beard Foundation based on the evolution of the industry, um, and starting to work uh, more with some of our corporate partners and starting to think about Um, how to nurture and grow those relationships in support of the evolving mission of the organization. So um, I think my title at the time was Director of Charitable Giving and Strategic Partnerships. Um, And then I I moved into a different title of um, Director of Strategy and Development. I took over our corporate sponsorship team um, after a number of years. Uh, I moved into the role of Vice President, uh, and then I assumed the role of Chief Operating Officer, and then um, I have been president and COO for just about two years now. Um, so all the while moving into different, you know, positions, different departments, touching on different aspects of the organization, um, and really being very fortunate, I think, to be able to be um, kind of always a part of sorting out and figuring out how to build the next thing 
at the James Beard Foundation, how to manage the next evolution, um, the next program, you know, development, the next fundraising push. Um, so it's been it's been a really thrilling, exciting, and engaging career for me here because um, it's kind of always been something new. Yeah, no, kudos to you. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> if I had a longer show, I'd dive in deeper into every position you had in every year because it's a lot. Um, but you, you said about, you know, about, you know, moving forward or what's, you know, new things to come and, and it's kind of a segue into Peer 57 and Market 57 and Platform by JBF, which is all very new and exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want to, do you want to talk a little about how that came about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That is the latest new, (laughs) new project um, that I've been spearheading for the last three to four years. Um, We're excited that it is finally launched. Um, We have a dedicated space platform by JBF um, within the new Market 57 uh, which is at Pier 57 in New York City um, at the corner of 15th Street and the West Side Highway. Um, and this is a broader development. Um, it's a collaboration between Hudson River Park Trust, um, RxR Realty, um, Google, who is the master tenant, and Jamestown Properties um, to redevelop this iconic pier into a mixed-use um, space uh, that is both you know, upstairs offices and, and space for Google, but downstairs um, space that is uh, available and accessible to the community as part of the Hudson River Park Trust. Um, and they decided a number of years ago that the real core focus of that public space would be food and beverage. And so the James Beard Foundation was brought into that conversation uh, to really um, be invited to be an anchor tenant in this space. Um, and by anchor tenant, I mean our platform, um, show kitchen and event space, which I know you've um, enjoyed. Uh, being our kind of physical (laughs) anchor tenant location, Um, but then also having a hand in the curation of the other businesses, the other independent businesses that um, took up leases within the broader market space. Um, There are, I think, 16 in total um, independent businesses that are operating there under the guise of Market 57 with the James Beard Foundation. So we helped um, curate a long list that was really pieced together by the team at Jamestown, uh, but to be really reflective of our values and the direction we're hoping to see the industry go. And then we're running the platform space and we're also running the Good To Go by JVF kiosk, uh, which is our fast casual kiosk where we will be incubating um, new fast casual concepts from established operators starting in September. Oh, exciting. And that I know, um, and I mentioned it with my tip of a part of your mission with the good food for good, um, keeping in line with all of that. So, yeah, that's really our intention. You know, our, our hope is that, um, this isn't just, you know, a market where people are selling food, but that the curation of those businesses, uh, and the work that these businesses are, are doing is emblematic of the way we're trying to help lead the industry forward, um, to be an industry that is more inclusive, that is more accessible, that is more equitable, that, you know, creates culture where everybody that is a part of this industry can thrive, you know, not just the person whose name is on the door, but, but everybody, um, uh, can really thrive in their careers and have opportunities. So, um, our hope is that these vendors, um, uh, really bring that, that vision and that mission to life in this space. Um, And then then we're working with them and with Jamestown holistically to talk about where as a group of businesses, um, can we help tackle some of the harder challenges, um, you know, around sustainability, around more sustainable, you know, packaging, um, product sourcing, et cetera. Um, So it's, it's an ambitious project, but it's, um, it's one that we think is um, really uh, emblematic of our mission, our values, and the work that we're trying to do to help lead the industry forward. Yeah, no, it's it's great. It's really great. Um, and I decided I'm going to, for my solo dining experience later, I'm going to talk about my experience at Platform that I came oh, great. that you were there. So we'll, we'll get into that um, at, towards the end of the show. I figured, figured I had, we should talk more about it. So um Let's talk, though, now a little bit about what is about to take place in Chicago. So this coming weekend is the James Beard Awards um, back in Chicago. 
I'm going to be there again doing some red carpet interviews and covering the whole weekend of events. So um, it's I'm excited about it. And uh, what 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 can we look forward to? I am excited as well. Um, it is always uh, an incredible weekend to have the industry together, uh, as you know. Um, you know, we have now moved all of the awards ceremonies to Chicago. So I often jokingly say that it has become the Super Bowl weekend of food. Um, yeah. That, you know, from starting Friday night all the way through Monday night, Tuesday morning, um, you know, it's full on, the city's a buzz, there's a lot going on. Um, so we're excited to be back. I think. Um, I'm also delighted that it looks like it's going to be beautiful weather in Chicago this weekend. Cause, I, I know. did just look and yes. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, but that should be know. a really nice uh, icing on the cake for us. Um, so we've got the media awards on Saturday night, um, which was where we recognize um, the winners of books, broadcasts and journalism awards. Um, really excited about that. And Patty Hinnich is hosting that ceremony this year. On Sunday, we have our Leadership Awards Luncheon, um, which is where we're recognizing, you know, the visionaries who are really creating a more sustainable, more just food world um, between both their work and their organization's work. Um, And Eric Williams um, from Virtue is collaborating with the team at the Dalsey for that luncheon. And then, of course, Monday night, we have the Restaurant and Chef Award at the Lyric Opera, um, followed by the reception and after party at Union Station. Um, And what I'm really excited about this year, you know, as we as an organization talk a lot about um, the kind of evolution to creating a culture where all can thrive and where we recognize the contributions of everybody in the industry, again, not just necessarily the person at the top, there's a real focus on the celebration of teams. Uh, And so really fun this year for the Restaurant and Chef Awards, um, we switched it up. uh, And instead of one host, as we've had in previous years, we actually this year have a team of hosts uh, in line with our celebration of the teams that make this industry possible. So Monday night, we have Eric Ajapong, um, Esther Choi, Gail Simmons, and Andrew Zimmern uh, teaming up on our hosting duties uh, at the um, Lyric Opera House for the Restaurant and Chef Awards. And so um, I think that's going to be a blast. I think they're quite, uh, it's a quite stellar group, right? Uh, yes. Very talented group, um, and which I think should be um, really entertaining and, and really um, enthusiastic guides as we make our way through the awards program on Monday. Yes, yes, that's quite a team. <laughs> um, yes, can see lots of energy and lots of fashion coming at us. I just have this feeling. Oh, yes, yes, I see that too. Well, the fashion, I, yes, the fashion is is. I don't think people talk enough about the fashion. <laughs> but it's I don't think they do. People really get dressed up and look look great. Like, they bring it. They really do. Um, yeah, we need to talk more about the fashion. We'll do that on the red carpet this year when they see you. Okay. Because, that, you know, I was really struck last year in particular that um, I think there's been, even though it's, you know, technically black, black tie on Monday, I think there's been a real movement um, from nominees to, in many cases, dress in their kind of native dress, um, which was really beautiful to see last year. Um, and certainly that's been a trend in previous years. But, you know, dressing up in what feels natural and authentic to you. And so um, it has been fun to watch the evolution of, of fashion at the Beard Awards. Yeah. No, I mean, when you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, interviewing um, Ronnie and Chintan from Damaka mm-hmm. the and they, they looked amazing in their, mm-hmm. in their outfits. And, and it was, you know, true to their culture, how they dress. And, and, and it, it was, it was, they looked amazing. They were yeah. very dapper. Yes, exactly. Same, the year Kwame Nwache, um won the Outstanding Chef, or I'm sorry, the Rising Chef um, Award. Uh, he was also in native dress with his mother uh, in the audience. And so, you know, I just think it's, um, it's, it's beautiful to see people embracing their culture, their heritage, um, and, and kind of bringing that into the James Beard Awards. Yes. Well, I look forward to seeing what you're wearing and you'll have to wait to see what I'm wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Um, cool. Okay. So I have two questions from for you from last my last two episodes because we did a little rescheduling and they're both really good questions are fun. So um, I'm going to ask them now for you. Um, so on question 
uh, on episode 357, uh, my guest was Carolina Bazan. She's the chef and owner of Ambrosia and Ambrosia Bistro in Santiago, Chile. And she's a contributor to my new book, Chef Wise, Life Lessons mm-hmm. from Leading Chefs Around the World, which is by Fiden. And um, I actually took a trip to Santiago and did this interview with her in person. And it was really amazing. So um, she wants to know, when is when is the Beard Awards going to be around Latin America? <laughs> uh, <laughs> always an interesting and great question. Um, I would say I wouldn't. I would not say never. Um, but what I would say is um, probably not soon. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I think we've recognized that you know. The United States is a large country and uh, with a really thriving food and beverage industry. Um, and that in and of itself to cover, uh, to recognize uh, and to manage the awards process for the United States itself is, um, you know, it's a massive undertaking every year. Um, and I think, you know, different than other awards platforms, the James Beard Awards are administered by the James Beard Foundation, but really are powered by a very large group of very committed volunteers that serve as committee members, subcommittee members, judges, tasters, et cetera. Um, And so slightly different than other models where you might have, you know, um, an investigator from Michelin, for example, um, or, you know, other, other instances. So I think it's a, it's a really large, uh, undertaking to think about launching the James Stewart Awards um, in another country or another region outside of the United States. So I wouldn't say never, um, but I would say right now, I think we're really focused on continuing to refine and evolve the James Beard Awards process in the United States to make sure that it continues to be reflective of our mission and our values um, and what we're trying to accomplish here in the States. Yes, um, well said. And I, I should note too, because it's just looking back at her question, she said, when is James Beard going to be around? She didn't actually say awards, but I took it <laughs> as the awards. Um, and, but maybe it starts with um, just doing some programming. <laughs> yeah, I would say we have done quite a bit of programming um, and participation in programming internationally as an organization. Yeah. Um, I think how we tend to think about it is things that we produce and do ourselves, we tend to focus on the United States. But the James Beard Foundation really, you know, would love to be known internationally as the authority on American food. Um, and oftentimes that takes us, you know, showing up in other places. Um, you know, I myself have gone to the Eat Forum and and um, some of my former empl- uh, colleagues and employees have you know, traveled extensively abroad to represent us and be a part of things internationally. So I think it's very important. So in that regard, um, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Latin America, hopefully um, we'll have a presence in Latin America soon, uh, even if not with the awards. Cool. Well, thank you for answering both versions of that question. <laughs> My version and her version, but but I, I felt, yeah, I don't know. I felt from talking to her, we were talking a lot about the world's 50 best awards and things sure. like that. So, um, but that's, that's cool. So, um, okay, we shall see. And um, the second question is from uh, William Drew, and this is on episode 358. And William, or Will, is the director of content for 50 Best, which includes the world's 50 best restaurants, Latin America's 50 best restaurants, Asia's 50 best restaurants, and more. Um, And so he wants to know, is there any cultural challenge of working with his fellow Brit, Claire Reichenbach, at the James Beard Foundation, who is from the beautiful city of Winchester in the south of UK, where he grew up as well? (laughs) This question made me laugh um, in a good way. Um, I think the only uh, cultural challenge that we've experienced, and it's been, you know, it's been, I guess, four or five years now that we've been working together, um, is a funny one. Uh, So I would say it's less of a challenge and more of it just makes me laugh. She, um, Claire has so many, what I'll call British-isms, (laughs) <laughs> um, okay. in her in her vocabulary um, that she uses on the regular uh, that I just have no idea what they mean. 
Um, and it's funny because we always get a good laugh out of it. Um, you know, when, when like, you know, Brits say something, well, well, that's pants, you know, and it's all of these, you know, colloquial phrases that we all have in our, um, yeah. our native languages. Uh, but I just chuckle because she says things sometimes and I just look at her and I'm like, is that a good thing? Or is that a bad thing? I don't, I don't actually yeah. know what you're talking about. We get a good laugh out of it. Um, and I have, you know, developed a lot of uh, new Brit vocabulary in the five years that we have uh, worked together. So I wouldn't say it's been a bad challenge. It's been a really fun challenge and um, a little point of levity in our day to day when something comes up and I'm just like, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> That's so, I love it. Wait, so I don't even, I don't know. Is that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> is that pants? Um, I, I think pants is, I think pants is a bad thing, but you know, it's just all these funny little, funny little, you know, it's just like in in the U S right. Like we have things that we say that we take for granted that we know what they mean, but um, it's slang, right. It's, it's, it's kind of slang in our, um, in our language and our culture. So I always get a hearty laugh and then she really, I can't think of one now, but she really, teases me when I have started to adopt some of them um, (laughs) and something will come out of my mouth in the office uh, that is absolutely something that she would say and we get a nice chuckle out of it I have to say. Oh that's great that was a great great answer and I should have asked him and I'm I'm gonna have to ask him or Claire when I see her next um, if they knew each other I don't because they're both from Winchester or they knew like Mm -hmm. Do they, I mean, do, or do you know the answer? I don't know. No, no. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, that will be a follow-up question at some point. Um, So very cool. So um, on that note, let's take a little break and we will come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Chris Moon. He's the President and Chief Operating Officer of the James Beard Foundation, so, Chris, it's time for my speed round. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You ready? Okay. Okay. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat out. Indoor dining or, or alfresco dining? Ooh, uh, alfresco. How about wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Wine all day long. Ooh. <laughs> you know what you like. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates, as many as possible. <laughs> How about communal table or chef's counter? You got both hmm. at platform. I think, I think chef's counter. Okay. I like sitting at a good chef's counter. Uh, well, they're all good to me. Um, okay. Um, a few more. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Mm. I'm going to go all-inclusive. Okay. 
That one sometimes gets people stumped. <laughs> How about Zob Zob or Namwa? Oh, it's like picking your favorite child. Um, I'm going to go Zob Zob. Cool. They're both, they're both food vendors at the New Market 57. And I went, I, I love Namwa, but I tried Zob Zob for the first time when I went. And um, it was awesome, like addictively good. <laughs> yeah, they're both fantastic. That's why I say it's not fair. Yeah. Like choosing, choosing your favorite child. <laughs> yeah, no, next time I go, I'll probably go to Namwa. Like I had to, I hadn't had Zob Zob before. So it was like, yeah, um, yeah. And, and then I took my, my Mala ice cream, rose ice cream to the rooftop, which <laughs> that rooftop is amazing. You did um, it right. Yeah, no, it was a good good move. So, so for my next one uh, of the game, I have Pier Fifty Seven Rooftop Park or Little Island. Definitely Pier Fifty Seven. Yes. What's cool about it for my that is like you get this amazing view of Little Island. So right, you um, get to take in both. Yes. Yes, it's it's really it's quite something. It's a wonderful venue that you have there. Okay, the last two are cheese plate or dessert. Uh, ooh, I didn't think that would be the one that would stump me. Um, <laughs> both. Aren't you supposed to have them in order? <laughs> no. Uh, I'll choose uh, dessert. Okay. And the last one is Manhattan or Brooklyn. Ooh, this will get me in trouble, but definitely Manhattan. All good. All good. That's the game. You can't get in trouble with my game. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, that was great. So for industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times and it's entitled Influencer with a Mission Supporting New York Restaurants. For Jackie Cho's Righteous Eats, food is the hook, but the social media series is really a platform to celebrate the people who make up one of the world's most diverse cities. And this was by Joshua Needleman. So I really, up until now, I really wasn't familiar with Righteous Eats, but I read this piece and then I opened up my TikTok app, which I hadn't used in a while. <laughs> I do have one. And I have to say, I looked up Righteous Eats and I was... Like 10 minutes in, I had to tell myself to like get off the app and go back to work. I, I was addicted like instantly. <laughs> which, Funny. which it was really, I mean, he was, I don't know. I, I clicked on the first thing that came up was, was one, uh, a video he did with Huni Kim of Donji and Little Banchan Shop. And it was just really well done. It was just, you know, talking about, he was interviewed and talking about his food and what he's doing at his new restaurant. And it was just really well done. And so I love that he's, he's spotlighting these small New York restaurants or smaller and they're ones that are mostly run by immigrants and members of minority groups, according to mm-hmm. this article and what I read. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, I was not terribly familiar either, um, but I really enjoyed the piece. Um, and I love what they're doing. I mean, I love the, I love the focus on kind of diving deeper into the stories of the people behind these places. Um, and I loved that this really kind of grew out of the pandemic and wanting to create a platform um, to shine a light on these small businesses and particularly small businesses that um, in many cases don't have the resources to have, you know, a PR marketing team um, and are really just like, you know, trying to make ends meets and, um yeah, I just, I felt, it feels very human uh, is what I, is what I really loved about it. And I have to say, I was not familiar either before you sent the article, but um, it was a really beautiful piece to read. Yeah, no, I'm happy, happy that the New York Times did this big feature on him. I mean, his TikTok page, um, it says it has 400,000 combined followers on TikTok and Instagram. Um and that's for Righteous Eats. And yeah, he's spotlighting people that might, or I don't know, might not otherwise, in a sense, get spotlighted. I don't, you know, it's, and, and, and really doing really good things and 
delicious food. And, you know, there's a reason he's, he's choosing the places, um, that he's, he's going to, but, um, yeah, it's, it's well done. He starts all the videos with a, like, a uh, like a yo, and it's sort of kind of like this informal, uh, vibe, but, but the content is great. Like, he knows what he's talking about and, and really it's quick and fast and kind of giving you just a, a peek at what these, these businesses are doing. And I definitely, have new places on my list just in my my quick little <laughs> my quick little exercise in checking out what what he was up to um that I want to check out so yeah and I thought you know I I feel like not to get too intellectual but um you know we're in a moment in society where there isn't a lot of nuance and things feel very dehumanized and I that's what I really appreciated right that it's like this is there's such a focus on the human element, right? And kind of putting a, a, a face and a story behind the food. And, you know, I think anything in this moment that helps ground us all back in the fact that we're, that we're humans, that we're people interacting with other people is really positive. Um, because it feels like it's just been, it feels to me like we've, in society kind of gotten away from that. And so I, that's what I loved and took away from um, the series, which is like, wow, this feels like, you know, this feels real, right? Telling real people's stories, the histories, how they, how they got here, what the food means to them, the businesses that they're running, the challenges that they're facing. Um, it feels very authentic and very true, um, which, is, which is what I loved about it. Yeah, no, I will said. And yeah, people check it out. I mean, I am very active on Instagram um, and and they have an account there too. So maybe I'll, I'll be following him there more than TikTok, even though there's a lot happening on TikTok. <laughs> certainly, yes. certainly there is. So, um, well, kudos to them and keep doing what you're doing. I think it's really great. We both do. Um, okay, so... It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, as I said earlier, is at Platform by JBF. So here's the rundown. The location, 25 11th Avenue at Pier 57 in New York City. The concept, bringing the James Beard Foundation's Good Good Food for Good mission to life in New York City. The theme that night was restaurants shaping America, and it was with San Francisco's Mr. Jews and New York's Contra, and it was a collaborative dinner featuring chefs Brandon Jew of Mr. Jews and Contra's Jeremy Stone and Fabian von Hosk, who also have Wild Air. And this was on May 18th, so not that long ago. Um, so those are the chefs I just mentioned. And it was a part of Brandon's week-long residency at Platform, where he did different dinners, um, I think, every night of the week with some New York-based chefs. So that was the one I chose to go to. Um, but they all looked great. I don't think I could have gone wrong. Um, so why did I go? Well, I, I'm, I love all these chefs and I love the fact that they were all going to be cooking together. And I really wanted to go and experience what, you know, the platform. So my experience, um, I saw when the reservations went up online, I think pretty early because I was able to get a chef's counter seat and there aren't that many. I think there, there were six. Is that right? Six. Okay. Yep. So it's like a prize seat at the chef's counter. Um, not to say it's a bad seat to sit at the communal table, but um, I love I love a good chef's counter. So I got my seat. Um, I was sorry. I arrived a little late, but I got there right in time where food was starting to, to come out of the kitchen. And it was um, the thing at the chef's counter, uh, which is a little different, I think, than at the communal table is um, – all of the dishes in, were were served as individual plates versus at the communal table. It was more family style with sharing. Um, but sitting at the chef's counter, you got to see the action and talk with the chefs a little bit. Um, and at the end, the host, Chris, who's my guest today, he was the, the host that evening. He introduced the whole team and um, talked. they all talked about the menu. And it was it was a really great experience. So what did I get or what did we all get? So in the, the collaborative menu they, they did, there was salt and pepper shrimp, asparagus with cod liver sauce and ferns. There was squab with crispy lotus leaf stick 
sticky rice and morel mushrooms or morel mushrooms and ramps. There was a steamed halibut and green garlic, snap peas, young ginger and cilantro. And then for dessert, there were two desserts. There was a lemon chrysanthemum ice milk and another orangey icy dessert. I didn't get the correct name of that one, but Fabian is amazing at desserts. And I know he was, he, 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 he created two delicious dishes there. Um, and there was also a pairing with Remy XO cognac and champagne pairings, which I skipped because I don't drink alcohol. So I missed that part, but I saw that happening. Um, my take, I loved everything. I'd say my favorites were the shrimp, the asparagus, the halibut, and the ice milk dessert. I should pause for a minute and see, Chris, did you have any favorites? <laughs> um, I, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was a delicious dinner. Um, I, if I had to choose some favorites, I would say I'm with you, the shrimp. Yeah. I thought was fantastic. Uh, and I was, um, I did love the squad, but I was really blown away by the desserts um, just because they were such unique flavors that I kind of hadn't experienced before. Um, and I just, I, you know, anything that's like that new, right. And delicious, um, kind of really captured my attention, but it was, it was a really beautiful dinner all around. Yeah, it really was. They did an amazing job. Um, the ambiance. So it's this brand new space and, and beautiful open kitchen, which is on one end, um, of the room. And then in the middle is set up the long communal table and it's, it's modern, but it's, it's, it's very, it's a like comfortable, like it's like, I don't know, the design is, is the lights are dim and it's got blonde woods and it just feels, it feels kind of homey, even though it's like modern and new. Um, and there's glass windows going around. So people in the market can peek in and, and see a bit of what's happening. Um, I'd say it's perfect for a special dining experience, either solo or, or with friends. Uh, interesting tidbit, Brandon had won the James Beard Award for Best Chef California back last year in 2022. And I interviewed him in the media room after he won. And that's on my episode 328, which I covered the awards. Um, personal fun fact, back in November, I went to a conference, the Worlds of Flavor conference in Napa, and then I spent a couple of days in San Francisco, and I got to dine at Mr. Jew's, his restaurant. It was my first time going, and he wasn't there that night, but I have to say it was, it was a hard place to go solo because it's it's a lot of like bigger plates and sharing, and I definitely over-ordered. But when, the other night when I saw Brandon, I told him I was there and he said they switched up their menu this year. So it's now a tasting menu only. So um, <laughs> when I go back, I won't have that issue again <laughs> and I will go back. So at Platform, the cost of the meal was $240. That's all inclusive, everything. Uh, would I go back? Yes. My friend, give her a shout out, Carrie Tannenbaum, who's uh, she's curating the programming over at Platform and uh, doing an amazing job. So I look forward to seeing what's coming up. Um, I would note to say it would I would if there was a price option without the alcohol, I'd take it, even though I'm kind of used to a lot of all inclusives with it. But um, either way, I will be back. And their website is Platform by JBF. Dot org and the other just websites you go mrjews.com contra.nyc and wildair.nyc and um they're all similar handles also on instagram so um there we and I would there add, you go. if i could sherry that we you came to one of those dinners but we do have events that are actually free um and or a whole range of price points between free and the 240 per person so a lot of different stuff, a lot of different price points um, that people can check out in the space. Good to know. Yes, yes, it was. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I figured it was the one I did, um, and um, I'm glad I did it. It was, it was really, it was a really wonderful evening, and it was. I think it was icing on the cake too, showing up and seeing you, Chris, because I didn't know who was hosting it from James Beard. Um, so that was. It was a fun was, night. It really was. It really was. So, okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Harold Moore. He's the chief culinary officer for Charlie Palmer Collective. And he is formerly the chef and owner of Commerce, which was a very beloved restaurant in New York City in the West Village that had opened in 2008. And he also 
um, had heralds at the Arlo Soho and Bistro Pierre Lapin. And I just had a party for my new book, Chef Wise, which is an epic party. And we had an epic cake there that Harold made. It was a coconut cake with tears because we were, and we were celebrating uh, my, my event was, was I partnered with open table and they, they had their 25th anniversary. I was celebrating my 50th birthday and fight and my publisher had its a hundredth anniversary this year. So for all of that, we had this really amazing cake and Harold made it and it was delicious. So I had to give him a shout out. So now, Chris, can you ask a question for Harold? I can. So um, I am a firm believer um, that even when you're in a leadership position, uh, what you can learn from the people that report to you is significant. And so my question to Harold is, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned from somebody who reported to you? Ah, That's a good one. I like it. I will find out. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, I, me too. I mean, Harold I, has had an amazing career, so I'm, I'm curious to hear a little tidbit of wisdom. He really has. And he's so, I mean, it's, I mean, he's not a pastry chef and he just like started making these cakes. Like he's, <laughs> he, he, he's a talented man and super, super kind. So um, I'm sure, sure he's going to have a great answer to your question and I will find out. So um, that's the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, congratulations on all you've accomplished. And I look forward to everything else to come and celebrating with you in a few days in Chicago. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. So thank you. My guest today has been Chris Moon. He's the president and chief operating officer of the James Beard Foundation. Their website is jamesbeard.org. And you can follow him at Christopher Moon, and that's with a K, and at Beard Foundation and at Platform by JBF. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also in iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Check out my new book, Chef Wise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden. It is now out and available wherever books are sold. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Chris. I'm your host and producer and author, Sherry Bayer. I'm off next week following up with the James Beard Awards. My coverage of that will come out at a later time, hopefully not too far later, but it's not coming out directly after because uh, I'm going to be doing my red carpet interviews and hopefully a lot of interviews to put together to, for a really nice show. Um, so I will be back then the following week and that show will be with Harold. So I hope you'll tune in then. And thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.